Welcome to uh, an episode, new episode of Consider This. I don't know if you kind of caught my oh yeah in the middle there. That's our new music. Can we ever do old episodes? I Welcome <laughs> to an old episode of Consider <laughs> This. <laughs> that was a silly thing to uh, say. <laughs> my son was telling me um, oh that no. he's recently booked tix- tickets to Poland, and I will miss his wife and little girl. <laughs> uh, we are in the studio today. We are going to be talking about the scandalous miracle known as the Incarnation. And so we're going to be considering that. It is uh, uh, intentionally done this time of year because of the, um, uh, the the Christmas season is where we're in. In the studio, uh, if you're not actually watching, um, we've got uh, Justin, who works in the discipleship of our um, young, middle-aged young people. <laughs> the youth. Middle-aged students. young people. The youths. The, youths. the students. Street um, youths. We've got Mac, who has been working in that department, but has also been doing um, a lot with Ryan in our adult discipleship stuff, preparing to be a missionary in the great nation of Poland. And then Ryan, who works in our adult discipleship area. And I am Jim, one of the pastors here at Sunnybrook. And uh, uh, we're, we're excited about talking about this conversation, so let's just jump straight into it. The incarnation is uh, obviously a critical and important part of um, our understanding of who God is in his plan of salvation. Uh, we talk about uh, the life of Jesus Christ as being that centerpiece, and we seem to argue, I think accurately, that the center of the centerpiece is the death, burial, and resurrection, and then ascension of Jesus Christ. Um, therefore, sometimes the incarnation can be an overlooked and undervalued or appreciated uh, miracle. Um, so, it, and I don't even think we're just talking about how do virgins become pregnant? That's sure miraculous, yeah. but we're talking about something much deeper than how does Mary conceive of a child in an unnatural, supernatural way. We're talking about how does God become man? And I guess we're not really talking so much about explain how that happened. You know, we're talking more about let's 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 just not go. Oh yeah, God became man. Cool, that was interesting. Presence. <laughs> <laughs> sure, it's one of those. Ryan, you said this yesterday, but a friend of ours says probably two of the greatest mysteries in our faith: the Trinity and the Incarnation. Yeah. yeah. So we want to understand it as much as we can, while at the end of the day saying we just won't fully yeah. be able to comprehend how that works. Yeah, and we really hope that this will actually help prepare your time for Christmas. So when you hear and see the real meaning of Christmas and um, what this season is all about, all that kind of stuff, just stop and reflect on the, the, the scandalous, because it is. We're going to talk about that it is not a well-appreciated doctrine. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is the Incarnation? Um. Basically, it's just uh, it's a unique doctrine to to Christianity. If you look at some of the other prominent uh, monotheistic one God religions, um, the incarnation is a unique feature of Christianity, and and it is simply this: that God, in His fullness, became a human being, without laying aside His divinity, but He took on humanity. And it is it is rather scandalous. So, the, like the word incarnation is really just a, an English version of a Latin word, incarne. It means to in or enter into flesh. That's an incarnation. Um, 
there's a couple of there's a the New Testament testifies to this a lot, but I, I want to look at just two verses here in John chapter one that that really highlight the, the, just how crazy this is, how scandalous it is, and yet how just matter of fact the scriptures speak to it. <laughs> I, I like. Well, hold on a second. I like that because you just said we're not we're not looking backwards at this we're not going hey jesus seemed to be it's like no um john is explicitly stating some of these things that are in fact scandalous you use yeah. the word crazy yeah um and i don't know if that's like a specific greek term from <laughs> but it's but it but it actually i think it fits yeah. right yeah. yeah so go even we'll see logically tenuous like yes. mm. yeah. very miraculous in that sense yeah. okay yeah. so um, in John 1, so Steve should be able to pull up my computer here. Um, in John chapter 1, the very first, I'll, I'll go with the first three verses. Just look at who the Word is and, and tell me, you know, listeners, watchers, what does this person, this Word character seem to be? It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So you have there uh, a co-presence with God, an eternality with God, and a a continuity with God that this word has. This seems like a very divine person. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. So just to to go systematic theology on you for a second, in, in terms of the creation, there are only two categories of existence. There is the creator and there is the created. There is no third category. And it seems like this word is in the first category. Whoever this word is, they're the creator. Things are made through him, and he, and nothing's made without him. And how many creators do we have? There can only be one. There can only be one. And, the Bi- and that's, yeah. that, that so is a don't... logical answer, and yeah. the Bible says that many, many times. Sure. Now, here's where this gets wild. So in the very same passage, in by the very same author, regarding the very same word, you jump over to verse 14. It says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So there's something about this divine person in chapter 1, verse 1, and uh, 1, 2, and 3, that is now enfleshed, yeah. incarnate, yeah. dwelling among humanity. The Creator has stepped into the created. And just to underline how scandalous that is, to the Jewish mind yep. to to the the um, the religious mindset that would have first received a document like John's Gospel out of this world idea, yep. and yet it makes it doesn't really make a big deal out of it in the sense that it's not like can you believe it? It just says, <laughs> and this is what he did. Sure, you know, yeah. and 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 it's just it, it's not it's not trying to substantiate it. It just over and over the New Testament says. The Word or the Son became man. And we really shouldn't be surprised then than John's Gospel. You know, Brian, your favorite, right? Yeah. I mean, this is the one you love so much. Um, th- this Gospel loves to describe, before Abraham was, I was. I and the Father are one. Mm-hmm. Um, there is these... If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Like mm-hmm. Jesus in John's Gospel represents a very you know, a, a close union with the Father. Not that the other ones don't talk about the divinity of Christ, but this one seems to talk about it at length. Yeah. And, yeah. and some of that might be due to the fact that John is writing the latest of the four gospel writers is probably due to the fact that he's writing in the most Greek context in terms of probably writing out of the region of Ephesus. There's a number of reasons that he highlights the things that sure, he does. Sure. But 
he is he is speaking in union in unison with the other with the synoptics. So, so hold, and, on. Uh, you know, hold on, I want to say one thing first of all. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Right? No, but that's think about this text, and then you really need to say, "Wow!" Like, and now Merry Christmas, Mac. What were you going to say? Okay, so you described as John, who is a great thinker. I mean, obviously, as he writes all of his things, you can tell that he's been meditating on it for years. Yeah. John tells it, as you said, matter-of-factly. Mm-hmm. And what we're about to do is to dive into maybe some of the mechanics of how that mm-hmm. happens. Mm-hmm. Do you think that when John is writing this, that he, that the primary importance is the mechanics behind mm-hmm. the incarnation? Or is John and maybe other New Testament authors, do they rather say, this is what happened, right? And we always talk about how in theology you can describe that something happened, mm-hmm. and then you can describe the why or how something happened, mm-hmm, sure. mm-hmm. and that those are two connected but separate things. Yeah. yeah. And so if we're looking at, you know, John 1, John says it very matter-of-fact. Here's what happened. There is only one God. That yeah. one God commu- like created things through the other part of the one God, and then that part of the one God that is one God, he became a man, and yeah. there's still one God. Yeah. Yeah. And this God man and God are the same in yeah most of the senses, right? And yeah. so I don't th- I don't get any indication that John is really all that worried, uh, or at least he's not that worried about his audience under understanding the mechanics of it. It's more he yeah. wants them to understand the implications of it, especially yeah. as you get towards the end of the book. He says, "I've written these down so that you would believe." Hmm. Yeah. He has a he has an agenda, and it's not total comprehension of how could this possibly happen. It's it's conviction as to what to do in light of the fact that it has. See, and one of the greatest points of Christmas is wonder, right? Yeah. Truly, we mm-hmm. talk about that. Like, there's there, there's supposed to be a wonder mm-hmm. aspect to it, right? Um, the miracle of Christmas. And, I, and that's why I, I want to keep using that and go, how is this not the miracle of Christmas? Mm-hmm. This is the miracle of Christmas, the yeah. fact that... Um, the fact that God could make a woman who's not had relations with her husband or a man pregnant, sure, yeah, yeah, that's that 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 is a supernatural thing. But yeah. I've resurrections of Lazarus or the widow at Nain's son. I mean, that's that to me. These are in two different categories yeah. than the divine putting on yeah. putting on flesh. So that's the true miracle of Christmas, and it's scandalous in in the sense that it violates our understanding. I mean, I've had some really intense conversations with some even close people in my life about this idea. Mm. And their answer is, going back to Mackenzie's question, their answer is, well, how can that be? And I'm going, yeah, I don't know. Like there is a wonder to it. Like I cannot explain to you the incarnation. Like it's it's this, oh yeah, we were in the lab the other day and we did it again. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like faith. Sorry, I'll let let you go again. Um, Well, it's like, that idea of the mystery, right? That mystery can either lead you by faith into worship or can lead you by doubt into mm-hmm. further doubting, right? And yeah. so it's it's one of those things you're just, you go, look, this is all I can really grasp at yeah. as a 23-year-old male. But as I grow in my understanding, I'll never perfectly describe this, but it always leads me to a place of worship. And I think that's where maybe as we're talking about this and how this really this is the mystery of Christmas, not just the virgin birth. There's two miracles. Well, there's one miracle and then yeah. one miracle that is categorically different than all other miracles, miracles, which is Christ being God and man in the yeah. flesh. Yeah. Go ahead, Justin. Well, we talk about how. Well, we don't know how. There, there, <laughs> this, the text does seem to describe some of the how, the obviousness of the Holy Spirit coming on Mary and conceiving yeah. that child. So yeah. there, there's part of which it's God doing this. Yeah. There's part of it, like, 
this isn't just something new that they just thought it's no this has been the plan since the beginning of time and at the appropriate perfect time sure this was going to always happen and now and then it did in mary's time um, and then it talks about in philippians 2 that there was an emptying there was a, there was a choice on mm. the on the part of the second member of the trinity to empty at some level or mm. to change his location for a time to even take on this form this new form of humanity in being an eternal part of the Godhead, he, he changed the form. And so, again, we don't know the specifics of what that looks like, but there are some of the hows that we have. Yeah. So, yes, we have the facts of what it is, but the text also does give mm-hmm. us some of the insight to the how. So, mm-hmm. the, so then what are some of the implications in terms of, like, uh, how this really matters to our thinking? Like, this isn't just a matter of, you know, God did this so we'd really enjoy this time of year. You know, snowflakes, virgins giving birth, and him putting on human flesh. It seems like... This has had some profound implications as the church has kind of thought through this and really demanded that this is not an optional doctrine. Mm-hmm. It's been like probably the key issue if we trace it back all the way to John's writing or Paul's <laughs> writing, which yeah. is probably even before this. Yeah, it's watershed. Right. So the first council where like the church came together, other than we would say Acts 15, right? <laughs> One of the first like yeah. people, 300 bishops, leaders of the church from all over came together in 325 to discuss this, yeah. to discuss the dynamics of Jesus being both fully God and fully man. Yeah. And ever since, even in the first century, second century, people arising, whether it be Gnostics or Marcion or Arius and a long line of people ever since who have struggled. And and yeah. we were talking about this earlier. I understand the struggle because yeah, I don't know I'm if you guys, you. this I'm is a hard you. issue. And yeah. so to think, okay, so how did, how does somebody become fully God and fully man? Okay. So he, he must've limited himself to where he's not actually fully God because mm-hmm. he can't be fully God and be a fully person. Or maybe he's like this third being, like mm-hmm. we have God yeah. and we have man yeah. and Jesus is kind of in between. He's yeah. not fully one of the, he's this other. Or maybe Jesus was just this really awesome dude. He was the first one to actually obey the law, and God saw that and adopted him yeah. as now this divi- divine son. Yeah. Everything right? you've just said were adopted by large groups of people large and groups. then condemned and as I, heresy. I, I, I truly believe— <laughs> In 325 yeah. and the subsequent yeah. councils. I, I have to believe a lot of them did it with a right heart. Oh. Yeah, I'm with yeah. you. I, like, am with I don't you. think a lot of it was malicious. I, I really think it was well-intended trying to reflect on on the text. And, mm-hmm. and think about that feeling. Okay, so this is, we're going down a different road. Think about what it's like when you really believe something yeah. and everyone else in the room thinks you're an idiot yeah. <laughs> yeah. and just plain wrong. Yeah. And you're like, I want to understand the right thing, but I just can't. Yeah. yeah. Right? That's a really, that's a terrible thing. Yeah. Um, and, and they're not your children, so you can't just no. send them to yeah. their room. No. <laughs> OSU fans talking about national championships. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, Just yes. So, so I think it, it's it is so important this 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 reality that God is coming and putting on flesh that Jesus yep. exists as fully God, fully man in this mysterious union. Um, but then we need to think through, and I'd, I'd love for us to discuss why does it matter mm-hmm. that Jesus wasn't some third type of being. Why does it matter that Jesus wasn't just a man who was really good and then adopted as God's mm-hmm. son? Yeah. Like, why does the incarnation matter? Why did the church fight and fight and fight over this and create a Nicene Creed, which says, Amen. actually, Mac, Mac, you can just lift up your shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, who for us men and for our salvation, came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary and was made man. 
why were why why did they need to make that point so strong? Yeah, which John said, which Paul said, but which they've argued since century one. In part, honestly, this is what's interesting. In part, they had to deal with the text. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. They had to deal with John one. They had yeah. to go. Okay, we can't just. Man, we're going to hold on to this book. This book matters a lot. This is another issue that these councils are dealing with, is what books are we going to recognize? Yes. Mm-hmm. And where are we going to go to kind of solidify our doctrine, which is the apostles' teaching, which yeah. is what the church was built upon, the apostles' teaching, which was the teachings of Christ about himself. Which and is exactly how Marcion got on the wrong page, is yeah. he would yeah. ignore John. Yeah. Yeah. He, would, yeah. he would just say, I can't make sense of it. Let's just put it in the scrap yeah. Sure. And the church would say... You can't do that. You can't do that. You've got to deal with all of these texts. Well, he would re- remove the spiritual things, and he'd also remove the Old Testament. So it, it's <sighs> what we see a lot today, this Marcionism, where there's this a separation because oh, it yeah. just can't I want to die. Yeah. Anyway, keep going. Keep going. <laughs> Go ahead. So what, what, no, so what, what is the implication? I mean, in a nutshell, it's something like this, and then one of you guys can expand upon it, um, that essentially that God didn't just do this so that we could have a— um, a more special miracle at Christmas. It appears that this was God's ultimate and eternal plan, yeah. because He became that which He redeemed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, this this is going to make some some deep theological implications. That there is the crown of His creation, which is not the Rocky Mountains, and it's not the wonderful seas, and it's not as much as I love watching those amazing shows that describe amazing animals and bugs and. Um, temperature changes and variations in the Arctic and the Antarctic, all those things, wonderful as they are, that the pinnacle of God's creation is humanity. Yeah. For we were made in his image. Mm-hmm. And then God takes on the form of the pinnacle of his creation to redeem it. Is that yeah. fair to say? Does anybody yeah. want to expand upon that? Well, you know, in, in part, the reason that um, God does not have any wrath against bulls and goats. And so in Hebrews... Bulls and goats can't do it for us. Yeah, and and uh, he has wrath against sinful humanity, and sinful humanity owes a debt to God, mm-hmm. and therefore the debt must be it can't be paid by a, a bull or a goat, sure. or it, it can't be paid by a mere human. I don't think. I think it had to be paid by a human that can offer a universal sacrifice. I mean, if I could live somehow a perfect life, I think I could die for you, and, and that's testified to. If I am, yeah. and I think Jesus' divinity and humanity lets him die for all. But he can't, like, I mean, he can't just, I don't know how you would nail a non-human God to a cross, but <laughs> that doesn't pay for a human sin. Yeah. He had, to, he had to embody that which he was dying for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think, it, tying it back to the incarnation, what you just said, Jesus had to be God in order to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Jesus had to be man in order to atone for the sins, sins of, of man. man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that so what you're saying is true. Based on the system that we've seen, there has to be life for life. There has to be blood for blood. Mm-hmm. And we see in the Old Testament the blood of bulls and goats being spilled as like a covering. Mm-hmm. God's kind of being patient yeah. with the people yeah. as a, as a means of grace. It's his own long suffering. Yeah. It's a yeah. means of grace. It's not the end all be all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's always this something else is coming, something else is coming something else is yeah. coming which it was is the preface better. to the actual thing that was those, coming those things yeah. are a shadow what hebrews mm-hmm. seems to say oh, i want to get into uh, le- let me run through some old testament stuff since we've kind of hit on a little bit of just the need if you don't have your old testament jesus makes no sense i'll say that uh, like a thousand times if you lose 
um, the majority of your Bible, you have no ability to exegete the importance and the necessity and the joy and the grace that is the incarnation. And so just kind of running quickly through some some Israelite history, as we were talking, we were saying um, that when God instituted the sacrificial system, he offered this way for humanity to relate with him through offering certain animals for sins and for um, offering incense and offering all these different kinds of things as various ways of expressing their relationship to God. And so it's not that like God changed his mind with the Old Testament law. The psalmist understood this. So even in their, its original context to David, who follows the law, gives offerings, does what he needs to do, offers sacrifices. He recognizes that the sacrificial system, the bulls and the goats don't do anything. It's the bulls and the goats that is a sacrifice on the behalf of the person for them to understand that my sin has consequences. And also, and this is the most important thing, which is shown fully in the incarnation, is that salvation relies in God and not in man. It's that they all, if being faithful to the law, those who are faithful to the law understood that salvation comes from God, that grace comes from God. And that's what the sacrificial system taught us. And so, for example... What is so fascinating about and so important about the incarnation is if you think about Israel's history, as they've gone into the exile, God is saying, you cannot live up to the standard. You must rely on my ability to save you. And then it's, okay, but how will he save us? Because the way that he saved, and I kind of put that in air quotes, the way that he saved those who were faithful in Israel was by obliterating those who were not faithful. And some who were faithful were caught up in the crossfire. And so as Israel is taken into exile and their capital cities are destroyed and all of God's promises to physical Israel appeared to be totally shattered. And so this became the paradigm that humanity looks up to God, can't reach him, needs him to save them, but we can't do it on our own. And then we're stuck in the cycle of bad people get get judged. And so you see that as Israel is judged and then they see their own judges. So Babylon is then judged. And then, and then after Babylon, the Medo-Persians are judged and the Greeks are judged. judged. And so you see this kind of expressed even in Habakkuk where he says, talking about the Babylonians, he's like, are they just going to continue capturing nations in their dragnet and sacrificing to it? Or is this really what is going to happen over and over again throughout history? And what the incarnation does is it stops the cycle. The incarnation, as you understand it through the scriptures, says that God will not leave us to our cycle of death. Hmm. That what actually is going to happen is instead of continuing what I have shown, even with Egypt, right? That's when the cycle begins. Judge Egypt, bring out a faithful people. Judge Israel, bring out a faithful people. Judge the remnant, bring out a faithful people. It continues on that God will not continue this cycle of us being damned to our own destruction but that this is the period or the exclamation point of grace and that's why you see at the incarnation even um as jesus is presented right um what was the name i can't remember that we talked about him yesterday the the man in the temple simeon simeon i was gonna say simeon but i could have been wrong but (laughs) simeon right he says this i have seen salvation yeah the consolation of Israel. i have seen the answer so the incarnation is the answer to the issue, which is how will God's grace be shown to us? Because we know it relies in him. And so you have that wrestling between 
this perfect sacrifice, this God-man, which is such a problem, even from the Old Testament perspective. Because like, So what's the problem? So I have Hosea 11 pulled up here, and this is just a snippet. We'll have Ryan pull it up on the screen. Um, but this is just a snippet that shows just how complicated the incarnation is. Um, if you can take a look at verse 9, this section is God professing his love for Israel. And so he's saying... I've brought Israel out of Egypt. He's my firstborn son, um, and I've cared for them, and I can't just let them go and die like any other nation because I'm going to do something. So in verse 9, he says, I will not execute my burning anger, and I will not again destroy Ephraim, which is just another term for Israel. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. And that's a complicated new idea because Hosea is preaching right around the time of the northern exile. And God says every time that he visits, it is a judgment. Yeah. Like the day of the Lord or the wrath of God yeah. is his presence purifying his people. But in this text, we see God say, I'm not a man. Therefore, I don't operate in human ways. Yeah. You see the same kind of thing in Jeremiah when Jeremiah rises this complaint to God. You know, how can you let all of your people whom you say that you love, that sure. you've protected, how can you let us? Go off into exile. And how can you let us have women who eat their children? How is this possible? And he says, nothing is too hard for you, God. And God shoots the phrase right back at him. He says, nothing is too hard for me. Like, so that's how I'm going to do it. I can do this because <laughs> even though God, as we describe him in human terms, has these emotional responses, he's yeah. not weak as though his emotions drive his righteousness. Actually, they work perfectly together. So these texts that seem to imply, you know, God, you know, statements, I am not a man. I do not change my mind. I'm not a man. Mm-hmm. God does these mm-hmm. repeatedly. Um, when we understand them in their context, really, what is he, how, how would we help our people? So he's saying he's not a man. So then how, doesn't that, doesn't the Bible then contradict itself? Mm. No. Go back to what Ryan said. There is this. Number one understanding we have to have that there is a creator yeah. and there is creation. Yeah. God is not a created being. Jesus is not a created being, which is what so many of those controversies yes. had to fight for. Yes. Jesus yes. is not a created being. He is from the beginning. In the beginning, he was. He is God. Yeah. All things are made through him, by him, sustained mm-hmm. by him. Mm-hmm. Okay, so mm-hmm. then we get into, so wh- where do we see that in the Old Testament? All throughout the whole Testament, we see this promise that God wants to dwell with his people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that I will come to them, that he, we see in snippets, whether it be a theophany yeah. or some yeah. other um, appearance or some other type of action by God that he's trying to give pieces sure. of what is more fully to come later. Yeah. and. That, that's where we see that he's not a man. He's not a created being, but he does desire to be with his people because mm-hmm. he knows he is the only way the mm-hmm. people will ever be made right with him. So God had to become a man in order that man could become like God yeah. again. Yeah, we, we God, say that, right? God, yes. God was with us so yes. that we could be with God. Yes, yeah. we were made in the image of God, and then sin broke that image. Something was distorted that we couldn't fix on our own. And so Jesus is that one who God put on flesh and became like us so that now we could be recreated, mm-hmm. remade, restored into the image we were meant to be all along well, i'm gonna say it again merry christmas yeah right like that's the joy yeah. of christmas yeah. the joy of christmas god put on flesh so that we might be restored so that we might yeah. be redeemed and you know ryan you you made a comment and I, I think we even got a podcast coming up about the complexities of a surely a growing materialistic and 
even like family centric and we want it to be like a Christocentric or a theocentric revolving around Christ revolving around God time of year mm-hmm. and this helps us do that this helps us recognize that Jesus isn't just a gift like every other gift that there is he's not just a babe in a manger mm-hmm. he is God in flesh in a manger and that's the miracle of Christmas and so we we definitely celebrate in that sense the incarnation so when you when you you can wrestle with these things philosophically theologically logically yeah. we can wrestle with these things when you look at these texts Mac mentioned the um, the Hosea 11:9 text and there's a number of others that seem to God makes it very clear I'm not a man all of the Psalms I'm not a man <laughs> yeah. so that's kind of a big deal I'm not a man and what he's describing there is, is that I'm fundamentally different than you. Yeah. And it's interesting, though. This is the same response that many of the disciples have about Jesus. Get away from me, Peter says, for I'm a sinner. I'm a man. And it says, in essence, yeah. and you are wholly other. When Jesus comes the storm, mm-hmm. Peter doesn't go, wow, that's cool. He's like almost the same encounter that you see with Moses standing mm-hmm. before the presence of God. And Isaiah. There, yeah, there is yeah. this there is this amazing, humbling, get away from me, you're fundamentally different. John and in so, Revelation 1. John in Revelation Falls 1. Falls down as though A dead. fear comes yeah. over them. Yeah, so that's, I, I would argue that those texts in Hosea 11, uh, 9 and others that describe that, are true about Jesus himself. Mm-hmm. He, is, he, is, he, is a, he is a fundamentally other being and we use the word ontologically I'll explain that that just means in their essence in their being yeah he is the he is the divine man and the a unique being in that sense and we've just described why it's so important that he comes back to redeem his creation so let's let's wrap this up by you know it's a, it's also a popular word to use you know Mac when you go to Poland man you need to have like an incarnational ministry when you go there you need to learn their language you need to embed yourself in their culture and and Justin you need to be working with our youth and you know uh, go go nears oh I guess we don't do this go go nears I don't know what the ride a wagon is for that. or something Go Pioneers, going for a state championship coming up. I mean, you need to embed yourself in that youth culture. This is kind of our concept. Um, I, I think it's good. So we could, we could kind of wrap this up by talking about there is also something uh, practically or in, in, in an example kind of way that we can be inspired by. You know, we can, be, we can, we can sit in wonder and worship the miraculous incarnation Mm -hmm. we can also be inspired and even learn something from it Mm -hmm. so thoughts um yeah i mean we we talked about this a little bit yesterday when we were kind of going over what we were going to do with this particular episode um it's real tempting to look at um the quote heroes of the scriptures and look at them as models so you know, David is a man who repents well. Moses is a man who does hard things when he's scared. You know, we look at all these things. Yep, yep. But as so far as I know, Christ is the only, like, true exemplar. Even when Paul asks people to model themselves yeah, after him, he's, he's, he's saying, as a way of modeling yourself toward Christ. It's not we want to be more Paul-like. He's just saying, like, I'm actually not that bad at, at, at right now. I'm, I'm living like Christ, so follow me as I follow Christ, you know. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Um, so incarnational ministry is ministry that looks at Jesus and says that as I am ministering to a broken world, I want to do so in a way that I am acting like Christ yeah. as I'm moving others toward Christ himself. It, it's, it's 
a ministry that I am doing, yeah. but it's also what I'm trying to get those I minister to, mm-hmm. to, to, to become. So we're, we're all little Christs trying to become greater and greater degrees of little Christs. And so when I look at Jesus' example, it's, you know, he's, you, you've got his humility on display. You've got his acts of service. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life. You have sacrifice. You yeah. have all of these qualities of how Jesus cared for people and, and pointed people to the true father in repentance. Maybe we should do ministry like he did it as okay. so much as we can without, you know, living in Palestine. <laughs> yeah. I think um, pull up Philippians 2 real quick. So we've talked, we've mentioned it. We haven't read from it, but I think this is one of the earliest texts that we really see as far yeah. as when it was written. Yep. Um, earliest texts we see a doctrine of the incarnation come, and it's in the context of living like Christ. And yeah. so in that sense, yep. ministry. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because we don't believe any longer that we have to have priests to do ministry, but we are a holy nation. We mm-hmm. are a priesthood of believers. Kingdom of priests. Yes. Yeah. And so, um, Paul, let's just read a little bit here. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort and love, any participation in the spirit, any affliction or affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So if those are things that Jesus Merry does, Christmas. and yeah. on both yeah, sides Merry of Christmas. this, Paul's saying this is how we live in Christ. Then in verse 12, after he explains the incarnation, therefore, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Okay, so if in between these things is pointing to what's in the middle, that we live like Christ, it's God working within us, because Jesus was willing to do this. Yeah. Jesus was willing to empty himself. Jesus was willing to come to the dark, to the, the, the hard part, to the death, to the decaying world, which he created in which we messed up because of sin. Yeah. Um, and so that makes sense that Jim would lead a church of people who are willing to go into the dark places because we have the light. Yeah. Yep. That we are willing to empty ourselves, even if that means dying, having our blood spilled on behalf of Jesus, yep. because Jesus did that. And we want people to ultimately see Jesus in us, right? Yeah. We point, our job is to point others to him. And sure. what's really cool about this text is it's, it, it tells us that Jesus has to be more than just an example. Like yeah. A, yeah. a non-believer yeah, exactly. cannot do this because part of incarnational ministry is not only doing ministry like the incarnate Christ, it's having him taking up residence in this flesh. Mm-hmm. That's where Jesus is more than just example. Yeah, well, because yeah. that can only be done by faith. Yes. Right? So that's that's the that's the connection for us is that it's not anyone can model this in in the same way. You know, that's if, if it it's not other uh, people who have just a genuine love for other humans and sacrifice for them. You know, if if you do not have this faith in Christ, if you're not if you're not doing it for the glory of God, and the glory of the Son, and uh, you yeah. know, through the power of the Spirit, then it's not incarnational ministry. Right. It's just being a really nice guy, mm-hmm. which yeah. is not bad. I mean, I, I really yeah. appreciate 
wonderful young women and older women who demonstrate kindness. That's great. Yes. But that's not yeah. that's not done for the same purposes as a godly woman who yeah. empties herself because yeah. Christ is in her by the power of the Spirit. She empties herself. You that, can't be unregenerate and do incarnate ministry. No, you can't. And that's yeah. I think I'll tell you, I think that's one of the major problems that I've seen is a lot of people miss the boat on this mm-hmm. you know and and the one that i have just seen in both his re is his writings and I've, I've, I've heard him even speak on it who gets this wrong is shane claiborne who seems to be more infatuated in the specifics of exemplar of the example um then uh, the incarnation mm-hmm. in essence it's a christmas without the incarnation it's yep. it's the present without the substance in the present mm-hmm. which is god putting on human flesh and that is something that that we are called to model and so therefore it ends up in his glory it doesn't end up in those that receive our kindness right for a lot of people that's the end of it right i gave a present to somebody and it ended there okay but that's not yes. that's not why we give the reason why we give is so that God might receive the glory because it is because we want to give because he's being made in us. And we look at this person who has this need and we give sacrificially like Christ did for them so that they could then receive this so that they might glorify the same God that I'm trying to glorify. I mean, all of the uh, concepts of Christmas and what's supposed to be happening with incarnational ministry flow back to the source of all of these things, which is God and, 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 and other kinds of that, uh, kind, same kindness, same gentleness, same um, generosity, um, as much as I can recognize them as good things and they're better than bad things, they do not result in the glorification of the one right. God Almighty. One of the dangers of just throwing around the phrase incarnational ministry is that the good works of somebody who's not doing it in the name of Jesus and the good works of those who are doing it in the name of Jesus is the good news. You can do good things <laughs> yes. in the name of good things. Yes. And if you call it incarnational ministry, you muddy the water of real incarnational ministry, which is good works in the name of Jesus, mm-hmm. and not separating the, the message from the action. We, that is what we have to do, because ultimately we're not just doing something to make somebody mm-hmm. happy or to fix their current situation we're trying to help them with their eternal problem of sin and potential judgment and destruction that comes apart from christ and so when we do good things ultimately it is for the glory of god and the hopes and prayer that they will receive the good news of jesus Mm -hmm. yeah which is why he came you know mac taught a lesson a while back in our wednesday night stuff that god came to reveal who he is to make himself known so that he might be worshiped that's christmas Mm -hmm. god came revealed himself in in Jesus Christ to be known to be worshiped. Yeah. yeah. Merry the, Christmas. The the manger scenes in Luke like that you have the other side of that coin is the throne room in Revelation. Like yeah. they they are inseparable. Mm-hmm. One came to get to the other. Yeah. Yeah. A great example of this is uh, all of 2 Corinthians. As they is Paul's pastoral defense of his incarnational ministry. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you want to get a good picture of, well, how do I really, how do I know if I truly understand the implications of the incarnation? I might not be able to feel, you know, use deep sure. theological terms and nail it down to where I don't step on the Trinitarian ideas and I don't step into some other modalism, right? You, whatever. But if you want to understand the implications of the incarnation, just read Second Corinthians and mm-hmm. tell me that Paul didn't understand that the yeah. way that Christ dwelled t- 
tabernacled with what he was saving is not the paradigm that Paul takes to heart. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so it, that's that in essence is ministry. And therefore it's not, you know, Paul tells, sure. tells the Corinthians, you're supposed to be doing ministry like you who has like two kids and who is just working a regular day job and you who is not um, not a preacher, not a teacher, not anything other than just your regular day to day woman. Follower right? of Christ. You just follow Jesus. Guess what? Second Corinthians five. God is making his appeal to the world through you. And therefore you do incarnational ministry. And so it's it really means, I think if we want to dumb it down to a simple way that mothers and fathers can understand this, it's like be present with your kids. Be fully present, understanding that there is more going on than you can really just think about. Yeah. That you being present with your kids, you being present at work through the spirit, being spiritually aware. Those are the kinds of things that make incarnational ministry real for everyone because it's the same thing that you and I do and, yeah, and yeah, Ryan yeah. does. Yeah. We just sit it's around and we, we talk about the spiritual things mm-hmm. and we think about being fully present in spiritual conversations. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, no. And he's just said the word present like nine times. Merry so Christmas. Merry Christmas. Boom. That's <laughs> it, No, but it's a, it's a good reminder, truly. Like, be present this Christmas. Like, be present in, in what's going on. And don't become overly critical or overly infatuated um, with the tinsel, so to speak. But recognize that there has been something miraculous, scandalously miraculous, that has been done for us by God um, uh, through his son, Jesus Christ. And that is what we're celebrating this year. Therefore, enjoy the time. Be present with your family and help them understand the uh, the. Well, yeah, help them understand. Help them just, I'll just say this, help them worship well this Christmas season at the wonder. And, and, and it's okay. Sometimes you need to figure stuff out, and other times you just need to sit and go, wow. Yeah. So, hey, Steve, can you play some more of that music or not? Oh, I wish you could. Anyway, go back to the beginning of the podcast and listen to it because I really do like it. Anyway, that is it uh, for this time in the studio. And uh, we just hope that you are doing your best um, to be present with your family wherever you are. Be all there for the glory of God.